Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson and unfortunately today I am not joined by my brother Jacob Johnson, uh, but I am joined by Pastor Jonathan Hansen back in South Dakota. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me again. And, again, uh, yes. <laughs> we yes. tried yep, to. Once again. We tried to record this yesterday, and um, yeah, that was an interesting <laughs> saga of, oh, wait, wait, can you repeat that? Oh, I didn't quite catch, say it again. Yeah, so it didn't quite work out, um, but <laughs> this is take two, and um, it's uh, it's going to be pretty awesome. So yeah, Jake wasn't able to make it today, unfortunately. Now that we're three hours apart, time-wise, uh, things are much harder to schedule, so <laughs> two hours was bad enough. Um, yep. But uh, anyways, we are, we're, he's going to be back with us on Monday, but we couldn't pass up the chance to do what we've been doing the last three months, which is uh, kicking off our brand new book in the, the next very next book we're going to be studying and um, sharing stories from, um, which is Prince Caspian. So we've been going through the Chronicles of Narnia for the past three months, and this is the next book in the installment. So as is tradition, Pastor Hansen joins us. Uh, every month to break down the book and kind of introduce, introduce us to the themes, get us psyched out, get us excited for what's coming down the pike, and then just kind of share some of his favorite moments. So it's always a fun conversation. Um, but before we get into all of that exciting stuff, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. And of course, anytime we have what we now call theologically learned people <laughs> on the show, uh, we like to have them uh, break down our verse for us. So I'm going to pass it over to you, Pastor Hansen, to do just that. Perfect. Well, so the verse of the week is Proverbs 11, verse 14, which says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a great proverb. Um, obviously, it's scripture. All, all scripture is great. Um, but this one, I think, touches on a theme throughout Proverbs, uh, which is not putting your faith in a singular person, not getting your counsel from a singular source. And that can be obviously we're ramped up in moving into election season. The, the primaries were going on and then the debates are beginning. Um, and it's very easy for people to begin to throw their hat in the ring for one particular candidate, which is not always bad to have someone here like, hey, I think this guy's good. But Especially what happens if his name is so Ron DeSantis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, I'm apparently speaking to Bruce here. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's not a great idea to put your identity in a single person to receive mm. one single person's input. And this transcends beyond obviously the political realm into also the theological realm. I always tell people, if you have a theologian who you agree with 100% of the time, you need to step back, reevaluate and see if you're putting that person on the pedestal of an idol. And so yeah. not receiving all your counsel from a singular source, whether that be yourself, a theologian, a politician, but, having a widespread group of counselors who you're like, I might not agree with them all the time, but I'm getting input from these various people. And this is especially important being a pastor, having trusted men who I can go to, I can ask questions, I can get counsel, I can receive counsel from multiple different people to pray together, to work together, to discern the will of God together. Hmm. Um, it's, 
vastly important. So this is something I wish more people, especially in our day and age, that's so split, so divided, so broken yeah. up. So, yep. you know, cancel culture where it's uh, this one person said one thing I disagree with. So they're gone. They're out of here. Right. This is a proverb I wish people would take to heart to have an abundance of counselors, wise men and women in your life who speak into your life, who can give you good, godly counsel. Mm. Amen. Yeah, that's wonderful. And this is why we have the theologically learned people do this. So thank you uh, so much for, for sharing that uh, wisdom with us. Very much appreciated. Um, yeah, my pleasure. I think uh, I think that went better than take one. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. That was great. <laughs> take one really wasn't that bad, but yeah, that was pretty good too. <laughs> I'll take it all. Um, but uh, yeah, so so like I said earlier, we're moving into the very next book in the Chronicles of Narnia. The last three have just been so exciting, and it's been so great to know when you're going into it what you're getting yourself into. Right. So we always like to have the audience read along with us. We aren't an audiobook. We make that abundantly clear. We <laughs> we are just commenting and we always say we're putting ourselves in your shoes. So imagine someone came up to us, came up to you and said, Hey, well, what did you think of the, these three chapters in this book? That's where we're at. That's why we're here. So um, but when you're reading through it, it's always nice to have in the back of your head some common themes, some things you're looking for, some ideas to, to look out for. And then they'll pop up in the strangest of ways if you're, if you're kind of on the, on the, look, on the look for them. Um, but in addition to that, there are, there's historical context behind authors when they write. There is, um, world, there's a worldview behind every author because we're all people. <laughs> and... Sometimes if you don't know the context, you can miss a lot of what was meant that was put there on purpose to, to really pack a punch. So um, all that being said, I'd love to get your take on what, what would you say are the common running themes throughout the whole book? These threads that you can kind of pull on and be like, yeah, I saw that here and then I saw this and kind of this framework that's built around this book. Yeah, so this is a. Uh... I think all seven books in the Chronicles of Narnia are my favorite book, but this is definitely up there. And and I think that's different because for most people, when you see their rankings on the seven books in the Chronicles of Narnia, they typically put this one more towards the bottom. Mm -hmm. uh, the Magician's Nephew, The Last Battle, and Prince Caspian tend to be like the bottom three that mm. people have. Wow. Um, but for me, this one, it's just a good story. It's it's well told. And, and what Lewis is really doing in this, this was the direct sequel to Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. So in, ah. in the way he penned this, you have the oh. Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and then Prince Caspian. And, and you see that even he gave this one a subtitle. Not not many of them have a subtitle, but this one has a subtitle. It's Prince Caspian, the return to Narnia. And so we pick up with the four Pevensey children from the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, and they return to Narnia. And really, the, the central theme of this book is it's a book about hierarchy. It's about roles. Um, and so you have the four Pevensey children, the four kings and queens from the golden age of Narnia returning to Narnia. You have the Telmarines who came in and conquered Narnia. And then mm -hmm. even among them, you have the usurper Miraz, who, you know, 
not to get into spoilers, but who stole the throne through unrighteous means from his brother. And then you have Prince Caspian, who, I don't know, a third of the way, halfway through the book, begins to be referred to as King Caspian, Hmm. because he's recognized as the rightful king of Narnia by the old Narnians. And so you have this book uh, that really is dealing with hierarchy. So if if you're a medieval hierarchical nerd, if you're a nerd for medieval <laughs> political theory, this this is the book for you. Wow. But that's, that's really so that's neat. kind of the central running theme through it is the book of what makes someone the rightful ruler and what makes someone yeah. the wrongful ruler of a nation. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah, and that's and that's really interesting too because I feel like um we're coming at the tail end of Horse and His Boy where it was very adventure driven, <laughs> just like mm-hmm. so much running, so much description, so much mystery, so much like jump scares, you know, um, yep. all of these things happening across three countries, or if not more, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're traveling thousands of miles across this vast world on, on the back of a talking horse for crying out loud, you know, like <laughs> there's yep. so much happening. And then, and, and you get little snippets of the politics Right. You get little snippets of, ooh, like that, like you said earlier, the the treachery behind um the Tashban and what was happening there and you know, their attempt to wage war on Narnia and conquer Narnia. But then you get like snippets of like, oh, well, they think Narnia is filled with savages. Like what 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 is where did that come from? Like politically? Why do they think that? And then, you know, like, oh, there there were um, you know, a possible connection between Narnia and um uh the color means through Susan and, you know, like all of those different mm-hmm. things that are just like these different political snippets, but, but they're just snippets mixed into mm-hmm. all the adventures. So, so it's kind of cool to get a book where it's like, okay, we're going to expound a little bit more on some of those, on some of those political things um, and hone in on it. I remember like personally, when I was reading through it, I can distinctly remember that I was eight years old <laughs> last time I read through Narnia, but um, I can distinctly remember Prince Caspian being one of my favorite books, just because I don't know, I, I really enjoyed the political connections and all those different things. And whenever I'd mention it to like my mom or someone else, they're like, Oh, really? You, you liked some of those things? Like, I don't know. I, it was cool, but I liked like Voyage of the Dawn Trader better. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's cool how there's like a book for every person. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it is really cool. And I will say a lot of that is very buried in this hmm. and it, Lewis doesn't directly address it. Hmm. He, he clearly takes a side in this book. Um, and so you have Miraz presented as the villain who he is a villain. He's absolutely a villain, but you have Caspian presented as the hero. And hmm. one of the questions to go into this book is what makes Caspian the rightful King? The Telmarines rule over Narnia by conquering them through war, like very, very distant in the past in this book, they conquer Narnia through war. And the old Narnians recognize Caspian as their king. Hmm. Whereas Miraz, who conquers through murder, through death, you know, both are conquered through death. War involves death. Treachery involves death. Yeah. But Lewis clearly takes a side to say, well, it wasn't a righteous war. War is a legitimate thing. Wow. Treachery is illegitimate. And so yeah. it's, it's, it's very fun when you begin to get into the depth of what's actually happening. And, and the, the idea of hierarchy plays out very interestingly in this book. You have mm. Caspian bowing to 
the ancient kings and queens. And then you have Caspian's servants bowing to him, you know, and so you have this really cool moment of a king recognizing a higher king and then the higher king recognizing the highest king yeah. and serving Aslan. And so wow. it's really, really a unique story. And I think that's what makes it one of my favorites is it's kind of its own thing. It doesn't fit in. It does fit in because it continues on the same theme from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe of rightful rulers and unrightful rulers. It carries that similar theme, but it really stands by itself among the seven books. And I think that's mm. why it's one of my favorites. That's really cool. That's awesome. Um, okay, so last three times we've we've gone through, you, you almost always had a quote behind you. Um, which is really cool. And so that was like one of the things that really stood out one scene, one particular moment, one quote that stood out to you from this book. And it always had some deeper meanings and things attached to it. So do you have one of those for us this time around? So, so I actually have two. Hey, uh, nice. there's, there's, there's two scenes. Cool. Technically I think it's three quotes. Um, but there's this beautiful moment. So a little bit of context, there's, four characters involved in this dialogue and it's Cas King Caspian and his three advisors. And they're having this conversation about whether they should blow the horn to call for the ancient help of Narnia. And in this conversation, everyone voices their opinion. Truffle Hunter, the badger is, is for it because Truffle Hunter believes in the, the ancient magic of Narnia and believes in Aslan. And this is a servant of Aslan. And then you have Nicobrick, the black dwarf, who he's for it. He believes in the the ancient magic of Narnia, but he is mm -hmm. against Aslan. Um, oh. So he's a villain. And then you have the red dwarf, Trumpkin. And the red dwarf, Trumpkin, is basically Lewis's equivalent of an atheist in the story. He doesn't believe in the mm -hmm. ancient magic. He doesn't believe in Aslan. And so they're having this discussion, and Trumpkin is adamantly opposed. It, you know, he, he says this ancient horn, there's this great line where he says, it's all eggs and moonshine to me, which I want to adopt <laughs> that phrase whenever I think something's <laughs> ridiculous. I want to call it eggs and moonshine. <laughs> you know, but he, he says, you know, uh, whether you blow the horn or not, it doesn't matter to me. It's all eggs and moonshine. And they're discussing and they come to the decision and say, now is the time we have to blow. We have to call for help, to call for aid. And but they decide, OK doesn't mean help's going to come here. We should send out some counselors to some of the ancient places in Narnia to see if the help comes there. And who volunteers? It's Trumpkin. Hmm. Trumpkin, the one who is opposed to this, who doesn't believe any of it, volunteers. And this wow. is a great quote. I said, you know, I didn't think you believed in this. And he answers, he says, no more I do, your majesty. But what's that got to do with it? I might as well die on a wild goose chase as die here. You are my king. I know the difference between giving advice and taking orders. You've had my advice and now it's time for orders. <laughs> and so wow. it's just a great scene. And, and Trumpkin is a great, one of the greatest characters in all of Narnia because he's willing to submit even when he thinks it's a bad idea. Wow. It's a beautiful picture of submission and obedience, even when it's a bad idea. Yeah. So that's, that's one of my wow. all time favorites. That's very there's cool. there's some great very quotes. I've, I've got my Kindle pulled up because we're in the process <laughs> of moving. So I packed up all my nice books. Um, <laughs> so I've got my Kindle out. So don't hate me because I'm using digital. <laughs> book. No, not at all. But yeah. uh, the, the other scene that always stands out to me with a quote is uh, if you recall back in Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, 
in the scene where, where Tumnus is has taken Lucy into his house and it's before he lulls her to sleep. He's beginning to tell her these stories and and he talks about old Bacchus or uh, excuse me, Bacchus and old Silenus on his donkey. And when Silenus and his donkey would come down, the rivers would run with wine and they're, you know, for weeks on end, they give themselves up to jollification. He's this very <laughs> bizarre, magical character. If you're a Tolkien nerd like me, you you know, he, he kind of would remind you of like a Tom Bombadil-esque character. He's just this weird kind of unexplained character. Well, in this book, they actually meet him. Wow. And Bacchus and Silenus. And it's just huh. this raucous celebration with Aslan. <laughs> wow. Everything's going insane. The rivers are beginning to run with wine. The the <clears throat> tree spirits and the river spirits are there and they're dancing. And Lucy and Susan are just in shock at this. They don't know what to do. They're, they feel lost. And, uh, Susan says to Lucy, this is one of my favorites. Uh, she says, I wouldn't have felt safe with Bacchus and all his wild girls if we'd met them without Aslan. <laughs> I should think not, says Lucy. You know, and Lucy responds, and says, I should think <laughs> not. And it's just this this beautiful picture of yeah. even in the craziest of situations around good, but very unsafe people. Hmm. They feel safe with Aslan because he's there their safety. He's the only reason that they're safety. Mm. Wow. So that's it. That's really just neat. a great little snippet in that book. Yeah. Yeah. Things that um, seemed unsafe before are kind of like, Oh, they're a little tamer or they're okay. Or they're, you know, within they, you know, that's it reminds me, maybe it's like completely disconnected, but in my mind, like that reminds me of, of the things that God has blessed us with in this world that a lot of times we can be like, uh, I don't know. People can abuse those things, you know, like alcohol or feasting, like, Oh, you can be gluttonous or wealth, you know? Um, it's like, well, you, we from like a pietistic super, you know, I'm, you know, holier than thou attitude can be like, Oh, that's, that's kind of scary. You know, like, I, mm -hmm. I don't know that I want to nah, touch that wine stuff. Cause it, eh, I've seen a lot of people go the wrong way with it. And nah, I just, yeah. nah, it's not for me. It's like, well, but God gave it to us as a blessing. Um, mm -hmm. and it's not something we need to fear if we use it that way as a blessing yep. from God in that context. Um, yeah. Well, and I think you, you hit it there. A lot of times we refrain, I think there is a lot of that pietistic, you know, holier than thou, but even within, you know, just kind of our isolated Christian walk out of fear, we can restrain ourselves from certain things that are a blessing, but yeah. you know, they're sharp things. I think it's Toby Sumter who described, he was talking about wine specifically. He said, wine is sharp. It's a sharp instrument, mm. but sharp instruments are to be wielded wisely. Yeah. And that's I think that's kind of the, the central point Lewis was getting at was dangerous things are not necessarily evil things. And we're safe when we're with Christ, which is so it, it's so there's so much layered there because we've already, you know, multiple times throughout the books up to this point, we've heard Aslan is good, but he isn't safe. Mm. Like. He's the most unsafe one there, like right. <laughs> out of Bacchus and Silenus and all of the river girls, like 
she's the one who truly is unsafe. But when he's there, even because he is unsafe, there's peace. Hmm. And so it's just this great spiritual truth wrapped up in this little, little story. Yeah, that's great. That's great. All right. So we've got about um, five minutes left. (laughs) I'm going to say that. Um, And we usually like to figure out, okay, so these are the, these are kind of the running themes. Um, These are some of the key moments that you draw, drew out of it. Maybe some other people will draw some other key moments, but these are some key moments. Um, The next thing that I'd love to discuss and spend the rest of our time discussing are some of the motivations behind some of the characters. So, you know, we've discussed in the past, you know, what, made some of these kings in the previous chapters, you know, in the Arkenland or a King Loon, and, you know, all these different people, like they had motivations for doing what they did. Um, there, there was character development there that clearly came from something that was deeper. Um, and it's just really interesting to, to know some of those things going into it. So what, what would you say are some of the like main character driving key motivations behind some of the characters that you found most interesting? Yeah, I think the contrast between Caspian and Miraz is most interesting mm. in this book. You have one who is motivated by greed and jealousy for power. Um, and you have another one who is motivated out of love. Mm. Um, love for the ancient things. Love for righteousness. And so you have... Um, the motivation of jealousy through usurping through murder, um, you know, not even claiming himself to be King for a while. He claimed himself to be Lord protector, which is Lewis's <laughs> little jab at uh, English history. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the, uh, the civil war in England long ago and, mm. you know, having uh, someone step up and say, I, I will not fill the throne, but while the throne is empty, I'll be Lord protector. And then, <laughs> eventually claiming himself to be king. And so you have jealousy contrasted with love, love for the ancient things, for the good things, for the righteous things. And it's amazing because um, I don't want to get too much into spoilers, but a question is asked of Caspian. Do you feel, do you basically, do you feel up to the task of being king? Do you feel ready? Hmm. And his response is no. I, I don't think I am worthy to be king. And it's just this, this expression of true love and honor for the people he's ruling. Wow. And a righteous, a righteous king, a righteous ruler is someone who loves the people. Yeah. It's someone who is not jealous for power, not greedy for gain, um, does not take bribes, the scripture says. Yeah. But it's yeah. someone who is motivated by love for their king, the high king, and love for the people. So I think that that to me is is the principal motivation. And we also see in this in, in the ancient kings and queens and the four pevensies um, some mistakes, some wrongs done, but we see reconciliation and forgiveness again. That's a huge theme throughout Narnia, confession of sin, repentance, and forgiveness. Um, so we see that, but I think the, the love and the jealousy, um, before we wrap up though, I do have a question for you. Oh, okay. You're, you're almost, you're almost halfway through the books, you know, there's seven books. So you're, you're three books in what do you, what has stood out to you as one of the running themes throughout the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah. 
man, that's a, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put you um, on the spot. I'm taking, I'm taking my right since, uh, since your brother isn't here, <laughs> I'm co-host. elevating myself to co-host right now. And <laughs> yes, and there it is. Asking, no, that, that was appropriate. And, um, that totally should have been done. So I should have seen <laughs> this coming. Um, <laughs> I, I would have been offended if you didn't, you know? Um, but yeah, I think ah, there's, there's so many, but I guess, let me, let me, let me narrow it a little bit. What is a, a theme that has run through them that you feel affects your life? Ooh, now that's really interesting. One thing that, let's say something that's bolstered my faith um, in reading some of these has been, well, actually what we were discussing earlier, the depiction of Aslan. Um, it's been the multifaceted uh, illustration and picturing of the being of Aslan, which it, you know, I know it's not meant to be an allegory, but it is a type of Christ in a lot of ways. Um, because you read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, you read all the different, and God has so many facets at so many different times. Um, and it's still the one true God, but he has perfect justice and perfect love. He is dangerous, <laughs> but also yep. cares for his flock like a shepherd. Um, just all of these different things held in one being Mm -hmm. and you get that reading the Bible, obviously, of course, but when you see it pictured as a lion, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which God, you know, God is pictured as that in the old Testament parts of the new Testament as well. It changes like you, you rethink and particularly like applicably to me, it can be very easy to get um, self-conscious of your faith when you're surrounded by all the, you know, the secular world, your whole, you know, all of your weight working hours. So like the company I work for now is not great when it comes to a lot of that, you know, like to the point that if they knew that I had this show, which I'm sure they'll find out, they would fire me, you know, like, (laughs) and, 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 And it can be very nerve wracking at times because it's like, oh, you know, God says uh, gay people are not meant to live. They're not supposed to live that way. That that's wrong. What they're doing is wrong. Or God says uh, civil government shouldn't be providing for the poor, shouldn't be doing these things. Or God says, don't trust your heart. Don't trust yourself. Mm -hmm. You're not trustworthy. Take counsel in others. All of that is completely antithetical. And if you're to, to the world and if you're surrounded by the world for so long, you can just like get in that muck and mire. But then when you're reminded that God is a lion, that yes, it is, he is dangerous. Yep. <laughs> that yes, some of these things, oh man, that, that doesn't fill me with the warm and fuzzies. Like, oh, wouldn't it just be easier if God was okay with gay people and like that was a, but he's not. And Mm -hmm. then we find out later, Oh, that's actually better. Like he does that for our own good. But initially it's, it's the shock of, Oh man, it would just be so much easier, so much less dangerous, so much more tasteful, if you will, to believe those things and to succumb to those things because that's peer pressure, you know? So I don't know in, in my life, that's bolstered my faith that, Hey, 
God is dangerous. These laws are controversial. These things are because you grow up in a Christian home and it's, it's like, oh yeah, you just take it for granted. Of course. Yeah. Gay relationships. That's not great. You get out in the world and it's like, oh, that's a controversy. Weird. <laughs> like, yeah. There's people yeah, that actually kind of, that's okay. Start in that bubble. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think yeah. that's the, that's the beauty of good storytelling mm-hmm. that's, is in good storytelling, you can take dense theological concepts and make them digestible yeah. because you're not giving a treaty on a theological topic. You're presenting a character who embodies these things. And I think that's why it's so beneficial for children to read children, the right stories, because a child is not going to retain. And even an adult, even into adulthood, we don't always retain, okay, how do I apply this theological principle to this situation? But yep. if you instill the right stories into your children, they will say, what would King Peter do in this situation? What would King yeah. Caspian do in this situation? And they begin to see the embodiment of these virtues and this righteousness yeah. in one. And principally, Lewis embodies this in Aslan. And I always say, Aslan is not Christ, but occasionally as Jesus walks by, his shadow looks like a lion. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's a shadow yeah. of Christ. He's a picture of Christ. And that becomes clear later on in the, in the story, even more so. But yeah, he embodies these dangers and these virtues in a character and makes it digestible into our own life to where when you do something wrong, you can picture Aslan growling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just like, oh, Aslan yeah. would growl at this. Like, I remember as a kid remembering that and just being like, mm. oh, I reacted in this way to this other person. And I can hear the faintest growl from Aslan, mm. you know, just in my yeah. mind. And it's just, yeah this beautiful ability to take these dense theological truths and boil them down into a digestible character who is multifaceted. And we see the beauty of that. So yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And and like one final thing too, is um, that's really encouraging about Lewis's work in, in a lot of these, in a lot of what he wrote was, you know, we talk all the time, especially in Christian spheres, post-millennial spheres, about we need to be uh, taking every area of, of society for Christ, right? So, like, movie making, um, we need to take technology, we need to take business, we need to take, you know, all these different elements. And more than that, we should be at the top of that. Like, music, for instance. Who do we look to today in music? Who are, who's the pinnacle of music? Bach. Right now, it's Oliver I Anthony. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry. I mean, Sorry. Anyway, I feel like that sort of. You're thing. right. I get. I get. I get the point you're making. Yeah, it, it's yeah, Bach, and I think we should be best. I I would I would phrase it slightly differently. Yeah, we're not go taking, for it. We're not taking those areas for Christ. Christ has those areas. They're mm. His. He's yep. King. Christ yep. is Lord of business. He's Lord Amen. of art. He's Lord of yep. music. He's you know he is he is the God of melody. Right. Yeah. Like he, he is he's king over these things. And, yeah. and the Christian mission is not so much, oh, we're going into you can tell I'm, I'm actually preaching on this Sunday. You know, we're oh, not nice. going into these areas and saying, you know, almost declaring, you know, like 
establishing the kingdom. We're not going out to make war to establish the kingdom. We're basically going out and saying there's a new sheriff in town. He he <laughs> is king of these things. Yeah. And I think when we recognize that, it should bolster us to give good stories like Lewis did. It yep. should bolster us to make good music like Bach did. You know, it, because we recognize our king is king over this. We have the story to tell. Sadly, we just don't tell it. Yeah. Yep. Amen. Wonderfully put. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Hansen, for joining us again. This is great. Um, so many cool insights, and I'm really excited to delve into this book. Um, and we hope you all in the audience enjoyed uh, the conversation we had today. Um, check out the rest of our series. We have that brand new series feature on our website. So we've got collections of episodes now for you to view. So we have our collection of episodes on The Magician's Nephew, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Horse and This Boy. All of those are available. Just go to trdshow.net slash series dash library or just go to trdshow.net and click series up in the nav bar. Couldn't be more obvious, I hope. <laughs> if it could be, hey, let me know because I built it. So if it's not obvious, that's on me. Sorry. Um, but check out our show website, trdshow.net. Also, send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com. We are very much looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you all again so much. We will see you on Monday where we're back to discuss current events once again from a biblical perspective. So have a wonderful weekend. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. <laughs>